Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day. I thank you again for all that you've done. I ask now, Lord, as we open up your word, that you would, Lord, guide and direct my words. I pray that your truth would come through clearly. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so uh, two weeks ago, I talked, who did I talk about two weeks ago? Anybody remember? Who was it? Amos. Uh, last week, who did I talk about? King Josiah. This week, I've got another guy I'm going to introduce you to. His name is Joab. Okay, Joab. A lot of you go, I don't know who Joab is. Okay, I didn't know hardly anything about Joab before the beginning of this week. I've been looking at Joab all week long, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this, it's on a completely side note. I'm always amazed as I start digging into the Word of God, like just the, the truth that's in there. And, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know when I start the week off right now with this particular series I'm doing. I don't know. In fact, most times I don't know what I'm going to be coming up with. Uh, by the end of the week, but I start digging into the Word of God. I'm like, oh my goodness, what in the world? How did I miss this all these years? I say that to say the Word of God is worth digging into, okay? All right, so Joab. Now, for the sake of my uh, wife, we talked about this before. She said I could share this. One of the things that I do um, after the sermon is I go to my wife and go, how was it? Because she's going to be honest with me and tell me the truth. She's going to be like, I mean, I, you'd think, you'd think. It'd always be like, it was wonderful, dear. That, that's, my, that's what my mom, my mom does that. Um, now, joking aside, I, I want to know. Because I, I don't want to get to the point in my life where I'm just like, I mean, there, there's some preachers, people go, oh, that was great because they said a bunch of cliche statements and they're like, yeah, that was great. Um, I don't want to fall into that category. And so one of the things that we talk about is what was it about? And if I wasn't real clear, like this is the main central thing of, like can you summarize what it's about in a sentence? Um, if, if she can't do that, then I, I go, man, I, I should have done a better job. I should have made that a little bit more clear. So I'm going to start off with it today because there's no way. In fact, I got to the end of this study today and I thought there's no way that I could preach through these things. And at the end, just I do that sometimes. I get through everything and at the end, I, I, I pull it all together. It won't happen. So I'm going to start off today with the point, okay? What kingdom are you fighting for? That's the question at hand. You can play, in place of the word fighting, you can put striving, building. What kingdom are you building? What, what are you working for? What kingdom are you fighting for? But that's not the real issue that I have here. The real issue I have is um, what kingdom are you really fighting for? What kingdom is it that you're actually fighting for? I'll explain a little bit more of that in a minute. I'm going to give you two options because I think these are the two that you could realize that you're fighting for, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self. Now, we're going to do this study of Joab as a character study. We're going to look at Joab's life, and I want you to be asking the question about Joab, what kingdom is he fighting for? What kingdom is he actually really fighting for? Let's try to answer that question as we go on, because I'm going to tell you right now, some of the most dangerous people to the kingdom are the ones who believe they're fighting for the kingdom, but they're really fighting for the kingdom of self, okay? 
Those people are dangerous to others. They're dangerous to themselves. They're dangerous to the kingdom. Let's take a look at this guy, Joab. Joab is King David's nephew. Okay, King David's nephew. David, David had two sisters. He had a bunch of brothers. He had two sisters. One of them was Zariah, and uh, she had three sons. So uh, Joab had two other brothers, uh, Abishai, and um, I think it's pronounced Asahel, Asahel. I'm going to go with Asahel. Asahel. These guys are important to the story. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, Joab is with David from the very beginning all the way to the very end. Joab is in that story. I mean, you start reading through the story of David in his life, you're going to find Joab keeps popping up, okay? Let me ask you, just a side note. Who's heard of, who knew who Joab was before a few minutes ago? A few of you? Okay, some of you are like, I think so. Okay, just curious. Um, There are 14 different stories of King David's kingship that involve Joab, 14 stories. Now, I could tell all 14 of those stories. In fact, I had them all copied and pasted into one document. It was like 16 pages long. And I was like, I thought about printing it out for you, but I was like, no, that's too much. That would overwhelm them. So I didn't do that. I'm going to give you snippets. So we're going to look at his story in little clips, snippets, and there's going to be clues in these snippets about what kingdom Joab was fighting for. You would think that somebody who was with King David from beginning to end, you could easily say he was on the side of King David and the kingdom of God. But you got to ask this question. Now, you guys know who David is? Tell me, tell me a couple things you know about David. Raise your hand so we're not all. Yes. Son of Jesse, something else? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody else? King? Yeah. Which, which king was he? First, second, third, fourth, which one? Second, technically, right? Um, if you get real technical, I think there was actually one even before that. that we're, we're not counting him. So Saul is the first. David is the the second, we'll, we'll go with that. Um, David was known as something, what was it? Man after God's own heart. If you categorize people good or bad, kings, would David fall into the category, obviously, we already had this, of what? Good, he's a good king. Um, anything else you know about David? He was a shepherd, started off as a shepherd, good. Anything else? Yeah, later in his life, there major, major, issue came up later in his life, right? That's going to, don't forget that. That's there. Still a man after God's own heart. Showed great repentance after that happened, right? Okay. Snippet number one. Are you guys ready to do this character study? I'm, I got to, I'm so excited about this. I learned so much. I learned so much this week. I, I'm, I love learning, and I, I, I learned so many things that there was like little light bulbs going on all over the place the last few days. I was like, Oh, I mean, there's one particular part of David's life that never made sense to me that makes sense to me now. And I'm gonna, I can't wait to get to that part, but we'll, we'll get there when we get there. All right, so the first mention of Joab, uh, snippet number one, is 2 Samuel chapter two. For those of you that like to take notes, you may wanna jot some of these things down if you'd like to, but you don't have to, 2 Samuel chapter two. There's a guy in this story, chapter two, named Ishbosheth. This is... Uh, Saul's sons, one of Saul's sons. And when Saul dies, Ishbosheth becomes king 
of the northern kingdom. Now, you guys know later on, eventually that divides, right? There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. There's hints of that all along through here, okay? And you're already getting hints of that issue that there's some division between the north and the south in the nation of Israel, okay? So he, Ishbosheth, I have to say it really slowly or I can't pronounce it. He becomes king of the north. Izzy, I'll call him that. He becomes king of the north. Um, king of the south is David after Saul is dead. David had at any number of times could have taken Saul out and did not because he was God's anointed king and he was not gonna go that route. You see a great grace coming from King David. There's another guy named Abner. He's important too. Abner will play a role. Abner was a commander under Saul. He's now a commander under Ishbosheth. And these divided kingdom, David in the south, this guy in the north, lasted for seven years. So it wasn't just a short amount of time that this goes on. But the first mention of Joab happens in this story. You see Joab on one side of a battlefield and Abner on the other. Joab is leading the, the armies of David, which by the way, Joab was picked because David said when he was getting his guys together and he had these mighty men, right? He had this troop of guys and, and how he picked Joab to be a commander. He said, who's gonna be the first one to go attack the Jebusites? And Joab's like, I'll do it. Not necessarily the best way to pick a commander, like the most gung-ho guy, not always the best. That's who he picked though. Job goes in, he does it, he attacks. Job becomes commander of David's armies. They're actually sitting on the opposite side of this field and, and uh, Job and Abner are like, let's send out some of our young guys to fight each other. And they send, like, I, I can't remember the number they send out, they send them out and they end up all killing each other, like stabbing each other and they died. But then the battle just ensues from there. Uh, just crazy, crazy stories in here. But Abner's army begins to be defeated and he starts fleeing. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 20, Abner's fleeing. He's running, literally. And it says this, Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is, is that you? Is it you, uh, Asahel? Remember, he was one of the brothers. Don't forget who these people are. Job's, young, I, I believe, younger brother because of what happens here. And he, he says, It's me. So they, they knew each other. They'd, they'd worked and battled together. So he's, he's running. He looks by. He sees Asahel behind him. Abner says to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left. I mean, he's a skilled warrior. Turn aside to your right hand or your left and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to him, Asahel, turn aside from following. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? A lot of meaning could be in there, like worried about who Joab is, or maybe he's, he, there was some mutual respect between these two commanders. But he refused to turn aside, therefore Abner struck him in the, by the way, I know we got some younger, well, we have one younger person here. I'm sorry, this is gory. He refused to turn aside, therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. Now Job and his other brother Abishai don't realize this has happened to their brother. They continue to chase Abner. They get him to this city. Abner yells out. He goes, Stop. Why, why we just kill? We're brothers. We're ultimately really all brothers, right? Because we're all Israelites. Why? What, let's not continue this. You're, you're slaughtering us. Let's not continue this. Job actually goes at that moment, no problem. And he pulls back and he actually says that to Abner at a later point. That's the first snippet. You would think from this first snippet 
that Joab, because he doesn't, I mean, this happened to his brother. Now, he didn't know it yet, but he doesn't. In fact, when Abner says, why are we killing each other as brothers? Joab steps back, and you think, man, that's, that's a sign. I mean, he's working for the king and the kingdom. Let's move into snippet number two. Snippet number two, chapter three of 2 Samuel. There's drama in Saul's house, so to speak. Ishbosheth, I can't, I'm having a hardest time saying his name for some reason. Ishi. He has he accuses Abner of fooling around with one of his women. I'm not making this up. Abner says, "You knucklehead." He doesn't say "you knucklehead." He says, what, "What's wrong with you, you fool? Why would you, why would you do that? Why well, I'm not? I'm on." Abner, long story short, figures out, I think I've picked the wrong side. This guy's an idiot. He's a fool. And so he sends word. In fact, we have this here. He realizes he needs to, he needs to unite the kingdom. This has been going on for like seven years. He needs to unite the kingdom. And it says, And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you, that northern kingdom. Let's, let's make peace. Let's unite the kingdom. Abner in and of himself, he had just been faithful to King Saul, very much the way David had been, but when it, it split, Abner continued to be faithful to Saul's house. I, I can understand that. Can you understand that? The king's son was ruling. Why would he not follow him instead of David? But there was this respect, but he started realizing, this is not of God. I need to, we need to unite the kingdom before anybody else dies from the, we need to do something about this. He goes to the elders of Israel, that northern kingdom, talks to them. They're like, they're all on board. He goes to, uh, uh, down to David with 20 of those elders. There's a feast. They feast together. The, the, the pact is made. He's going to head back up, Abner is, to bring the kingdom together. It's all said and done. Joab shows up. Joab, the leader, the commander of David's army, and he says, David, you're a fool. Abner's just tricking you. He just came down here to see what you're doing down here so he could prepare himself. Doesn't trust David's view of how David read the situation. And what does Joab do? He leaves David's presence here. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner. And they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah, but David did not know about it. So I believe under the guise of, hey, Abner, wait one more thing before you go. When Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck, in, struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Now, this a clue? I think it is. There's some vindictiveness there. Can you see that? Some vengeance. You killed my brother. Abner was reuniting the kingdom. I mean, the only, I mean, think about how this brother had died. It was in battle. He had tried to persuade him, stop, follow me. I don't want this to go this way. Job's not having any of that. David hears about it. He rebukes Joab and the other brother, Abishai, because he participated. He was there when this happened, it says a few verses later. 
He actually pronounces a curse on Joab, David does. Curse on Joab and Abishai and their descendants after them. He pronounces this curse on them. He then turns around and to do some damage control, he mourns. It makes a show of mourning for the loss of Abner. And it's this mourning that does unite the kingdom because Joab about blew the unification of the kingdoms. So all the people, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 27, or 37 to 39, I think I have 27 up there, it's 37. So all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? Speaking about Abner. He says, and I was gentle today, David says, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zariah, who are the sons of Zariah? Joab right? His brother are more severe than I. The Lord repaid the evildoer according to his wickedness. Now, you see a clue. All right, now, I don't think it's enough yet to say for sure. Who's he really? Okay, could have been a, a lapse in judgment. Pretty gruesome though, isn't it? In the way he did it. I mean, hey, can we just talk privately? There's a mention in all of the places where Joab speaks. There's not one mention of anything that would resemble faith. There's something close in chapter 10, but it seems like just almost a generic phrase. This is the closest thing you get to Joab ever professing any type of faith. He says, be of good courage. He's telling his army there. There's several battles that happen from that point as they flow forward. Be of courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And, and may the Lord would do see, what seems good to him. Not, not a real, on service level, maybe. But you get almost a, well, God's gonna do what he's gonna do. Snippet number three. Let's move ahead to chapter 11. This is the story of David and Bathsheba the story that was mentioned earlier. For those of you that don't know, there's a battle going on. It's the time that actually says it's the time when the kings go out. David does not go out with the kings. He's back at home. He sees over on the rooftop Bathsheba taking a bath. I always thought that's why she was named that when I was a kid. Not connected. There's her husband's name is Uriah. He was a Hittite. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a Hittite. Uriah the Hittite. If you know the story, you know what happens. He has an affair with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. To cover up what he did, he attempts to cover up. He sends a message to the front lines and says, send Uriah home. Uriah comes back. Uriah, in his loyalty to the king, refuses to go. He says, why, why my, my, my brothers in arms are out here fighting. Why would I go home to be with my wife? That just doesn't seem right. David's like, no, no, stay one more, one more day. Just, he doesn't do it. David then writes a letter, seals it, gives it to Uriah to return to the front. In the letter, it basically says, um, I want you to pull, like, go into battle and then have a signal that everybody knows except Uriah. He's, carrying, he's making Uriah carry it back himself. That's crazy. 
He, he says, everybody's going to pull back except for Uriah so that Uriah gets killed. He wants, he's trying to organize a way for him to die in battle. Now, I always thought, to my, in my mind, I always thought, how, how did he think this was, he was going to get away with this? Guess who the commander was on the front lines that he sent the letter to? Joab. Here's a guy that will get things done when things need to get done. And he knew Joab's ambition. He knew Joab's self-centeredness. And he knew, I could send this to Joab and he'll do it. And guess what Joab does? He does it and sends the message back. King, thing you asked got accomplished. It's done. You can almost feel Joab's loyalty to the king. Can you sense it? But it's so off, is it not? Is he really fighting for the kingdom? In that moment, David was not. David repents, but it was Joab was the one. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, specifically addressed to Joab, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Snippet number four comes from 2 Samuel chapter 14, um, 18 through 20. Um, there's a guy named Absalom. I'm giving you a lot of these names because I don't want you to get confused. Absalom is a son of David. Now, I think this next story plays out. In fact, these next two little stories play out and display Joab better than any of the other stories that I've shared so far. There's, there's clues. But this one plays it out so clearly with the, as you dig into Joab's life. Absalom was one of the older sons of David. There's a whole other backstory behind what happens um, with Absalom and to do with the, uh, one of the other sons, and there's a, a daughter, and there's all kinds of things going on, and Absalom gets banished, okay? Um, Absalom is banished from the kingdom by King David. Joab, and I, I was so confused by this story. I hope that you can follow along with me. I was so confused by this, but it, it, it makes so much sense now. Joab gets this older lady, and he, he tells her, he says, I need you to go to the king and pretend, and he builds this whole story to manipulate the king's emotions. He knows David. And he, he builds this whole story. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't say it explicitly, but you'll see it here in a minute, I think, inadvertently. I think that Joab's ambition comes through. I think that Joab looks at Absalom and goes, Man, he's the guy. Absalom is a, I'm like, like him. And he's, he might be the next king. I need to make sure I'm hitched to the right dude. So he, he manipulates King David. He sends this old lady. The old lady goes back and she tells the story to King David. And David is moved to his emotions. But he says, wait a minute, I did, did Joab send you? And she's like, yeah, uh, truth be told, he did. But, but David goes, okay. And he lets Absalom, that's the whole point, to get Absalom back into the kingdom. So Absalom has returned. He's not back in the, the house of David, but he's, he's to stay, keep his distance. And I think Joab thought to himself, oh yeah. He's like checkers, right? Moving the pieces, getting it lined up. 
This is the one that's gonna be the next guy. Absalom then does exactly what I think Joab thought he was going to do. Absalom then decides, I'm taking the kingdom now. I'm gonna wait. And then there it is. If you, if you go too fast, you'll miss it. Second Samuel chapter 17, it says it's just right there. Now Absalom set, had set Amasa over the army instead, uh, it specifically says instead of Joab. Interesting turn of events, I think, in Joab's mind. Mesa was the son of a man named Ithra the Ishmaelite who had married Abigail, the, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. So this was one of Joab's cousins, Amasa is. And Absalom, even though Joab had done this for him, doesn't return the favor. And when he's setting up his army to take the kingdom, who's he set? Amasa. Now, at this point, when I was studying the story, I started going, I could, I could almost picture Job in my mind. Can you picture him? I think the word fuming. There's another civil war, so to speak. Northern tribes, Absalom goes up to the northern tribes. They're the ones that are always wanting to pull away from the kingdom anyway. He kind of unites them under himself. David is in the southern kingdom with Judah. He has again, Joab, pulls him in to lead his army his brother, Abishai, and another guy named Ittai. And he sends them out to battle against Absalom's men. In 2 Samuel 18.5, King David says this specifically to those three leaders. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai, his brother, and Ittai, this other guy, he says, deal gently for my sake with the young man, Absalom. It's still his son, the David. And all the people, it says specifically, all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. Everybody heard it. The Bible, said, the Bible specifically says that everybody heard it. He said it. They heard it. Everybody heard it. No question about it. Judah begins winning the battle. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 9, this is an odd story. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth with the mule that was under him went on. He had long dreads or something, and it's caught in the tree. This happened. Talk about a bad day. Verse 10, and a certain man saw it and told Joab, victory's won. Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, what, you saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you 10 pieces of silver and a belt. I would have rewarded you for it. But the man, I don't know who this guy is, we don't know, smart, answered to Joab, even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there's nothing hidden from the king, he would have figured it out, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Yeah, you can say that, Joab. Joab, not a man to mince words, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. 
And 10 young men, Joab's armor bearers, the guys that were closest to him, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Absalom is a guy who gets things done. And I can't help at this point but think to myself that Joab, if you were to sit Joab down and said, who do you fight for? I, I, I can guarantee you, I, 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 I bet you that a thousand pieces of silver he was putting up, that Joab would look you in the eye and said, the kingdom. And when David fails, I make sure the right job gets done. And Joab genuinely believed he was fighting for the kingdom. But looking back over the course of his life, can he start to go, hmm. Joab does some more manipulating of the king and the way the news is sent to David. It's a really weird story. He sends this messenger off and he sends another one and he's trying to work the things out because he knows he went against them. In 2 Samuel 18, David cries out, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Would I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. The people hear of his mourning. It says literally that the people that were serving under Joab, it says they crept back into the city because of the king's mourning. Job confronts David's compassion, humility, and graciousness, and basically tells him, if you don't stop this, the, the, kingdoms, the whole kingdom will turn against you. You need to buck up and, and go out there and act like everything's fine. And David does. 2 Samuel Snippet number five. Second Samuel 19.13, it says this. Oh, you'll find this super interesting. David is talking and he says this. Say to Amasa. Now, do you remember who Amasa was? Don't read it. Who was Amasa? Who was Amasa? Do you guys remember? <coughs> I know there's so many names, isn't there? He, he was the cousin. So close. He was the cousin. I was getting so, there's so many A names in this. I was, I, I was like, wait, who did what? You should have seen my notes. I had arrows. Amasa was the one. Remember when Joab got Absalom back in the kingdom and then Absalom, instead of picking Joab to lead his army, who'd he pick? His cousin Amasa. David says this, say to Amasa, are you not bone of my bone? In my flesh, God do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of the army, my army now, from now on, in place of Joab. You'd probably do the same thing. Mesa, in and of himself, he's, he's a relative of David's, just like uh, um, Joab is. Yeah, he had helped Absalom, but he was just doing what that guy said. I mean, he's just going along with it. He, he realizes, I mean, it, when, the, when the battle's won, Absalom dead, and Mesa had, he, he stopped the fight. I mean, there wasn't a continued stance in that regard. But David here at this point says, Mesa, you're now the, and I mean, how could he have Joab? The javelins in the heart of his, I mean, that, everybody heard it. Stabs him. A guy named Sheba, this guy's name, rises up and starts causing trouble and they realize this guy's worse than Absalom was. He's gonna do some major damage. David tells Amasa, go out, gather the men and, and go get him before he makes it to a city and he escapes. Amasa goes off to find, gather the men. 
He gets delayed. We don't know why. It doesn't ever say why he was delayed. He gets delayed, and while he's waiting, David sends Abishai, Job's brother. Now, remember, Job had been demoted, fired, so to speak. Abishai, he says that. He said, you, you go, get him. So Abishai goes, and it says specifically with Joab's men. Where's Joab? You'll see. 2 Samuel 20. When they were at the great stone that is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. So Amasa gets caught up with everybody else. Now, Joab was wearing a soldier's garment, and over it was a belt with a sword in its sheath fastened on his thigh, and as he went forward, it fell out. Now, this is a really bizarre story. I don't know what's happening here with the sword falling out, but that's what happens. He's got the sword, belt, falls out. He's going up to, and he's in a soldier's garment, not, not his general's garment at this point. He's in a soldier's garment. He sees Amasa. Amasa's the guy that took his place. He's on the outs right now. Joab said to Amasa, is it well with you, my brother? It's his cousin, but, you know, family. And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him, because that's how they greet. Think about Europe or something, right? Grabs him by the beard with his right hand. But Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with it in the stomach and spilled his entrails to the ground without striking a second blow. Oh, it gets worse. Joab and his brother Abishai pursued Sheba. <clears throat> One of Joab's young men took his stand by Amasa as the rest of the troops were coming and said, whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David... They're on the same side, everybody, whoever's for Joab and for David. This way. If you're for David, you got to follow Joab. Oh, I apologize in advance for the next verse. And Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the highway. And anyone who came by seeing him stopped. And when, they, when, and when the man saw that all the people stopped, he carried Amasa out of the highway into the field, threw a garment over him, when he was taken out of the highway, all the people went on after Job to pursue Sheba. Sick. Disturbing, isn't it? Yet what's Job ha have his guys do? Everybody else to come say, man, if you're for David and Joab, come on. Sheba is eventually cornered in a city. He's hiding out in a city, a wise woman in the city. And this next heart is so, so telling about Joab's heart. Listen to this. This blew my mind. This wise woman calls out because Sheba's hiding in the city. They're barricading it in. They're actually heaping dirt up the side of the wall because uh, Joab, with his army now of people that he's re-taking control of, is attacking the city to get Sheba because as he knows, that's what David needs. And man, he wants David to know, you want something done? Joab's your man. This wise woman yells out from over the wall and says, is Joab there? Let me speak to him. And it says, and he came near and the woman said, are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, listen to the words of your servant. And he answered, I'm listening. Okay. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. This city in and of itself was not one that was against David, right? So there are probably, some of them are in there like, don't kill us all. 
You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? Joab's answer Far be it for me, far be it for me that I should swallow up or destroy. I read that and I thought, are you kidding me? At the same time, I'm like, I I could feel my heart just rending for this guy in his sin. He thought for the kingdom. He did not see himself as one who was a destroyer of the kingdom. But everybody else around him could see it. And she says, what you do? What you going to do? He goes, almost why why would you even think that? And she goes, let, let, please, we will get Sheba for you. And they do. They go in, the leaders of the city, she talks to them. She's, I I think probably, we don't know. I think probably she said, we better get Sheba or he's going to kill us all. By this time, there was actually another story I didn't have time to get into where where David had attacked the Edomites. They were attacking Israel and they'd attack back. And it talks about how Joab actually went in after the defeat and went in and killed every male of all the Edomites and only one escaped. His name was Hadad. Hadad had fled to Egypt and he ends up being a leader under with the, 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 the uh, support of Egypt. He ends up coming back, reuniting the Edomites and being one of the biggest problems that Solomon faces later in his life. The destruction that Joab causes in his supposed banner of the kingdom has long-lasting impacts. They decapitate Sheba and throw his head out over the wall. Joab picks it up, carries it back to Jerusalem, and I think says, I'm your man, David. I'm your man. Final snippet I want to share with you. David is dying at the beginning of this next snippet, snippet number six. David has, because God has told him, Solomon will be king. He has another son named Adonijah who wants to be king. Adonijah, I think, maybe was probably a lot more like Absalom and Joab and these sorts of guys. Adonijah rallies together his people to take the kingdom before Solomon has a chance to take the throne. Adonijah selects as his commander, guess who? Joab. It's interesting because Joab had somehow, and this is a side little thing, proximity to those of great faith, does not equal great faith in you. Joab so often was latched to the workings of King David and the kingdom, the kingdom of God. But the reality eventually reveals itself. He latches himself to Adonijah not the one that God said would be king. 
Solomon becomes king. Adonijah's people are defeated under Solomon's rule. Joab tries some manipulation with Solomon. David is dead at this point. Joab runs to the altar and grabs the horns of the altar. I think he's thinking, I don't know. Can I, can I just guess? Maybe Solomon will be gracious like David was. Now get back in. Just give me time. The guy that was sent to execute Joab goes back to Solomon and says, he's holding on to the horns of the altar. What do I do? And Solomon says, the Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself. Abner, son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. And that's the end of Joab. That's the question again. What kingdom are you really fighting for? I mentioned a moment ago that if Joab was sitting here, I think you could ask him what kingdom you're fighting for, and I think he would have, with wholehearted enthusiasm, said the kingdom of David, kingdom of God. You might have thrown in there, and I'll kill you if you think I'm wrong. Right? But when you look out over the course of his life, he, I, I, he was a bulldozer of a guy, wasn't he? And, and it may seem, well, sometimes he's on the right side, sometimes he's on the wrong side. No, no, no. He was always on the same side, Joab's side. That's where it gets confusing. You can come to church. And there's people that operate for the kingdom of self, and it just so happens that self is headed the same way that the church is. And they're like bulldozers for God in their own thoughts. You want things to get done? I'm your man. But the reality sneaks in, doesn't it? The reality will sneak in and you will see who you're really fighting for by the grace of God, pray that that is revealed to you. Pray that you, you don't continue this life thinking I'm for God, but you're not. What a tragedy that would be. Matthew chapter seven, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says there will be many on that day, that judgment day, that say, that have said, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we do this and this for the kingdom? And Jesus will look at them and say plainly, depart from me, I never knew you. Don't be a Joab. And Joabs, you're useful. I'm telling you what, you can be so useful sometimes, but not really kingdom of God is a kingdom of those who follow Christ 
and humility of the servant's heart. Let me tell you one way. There's a lot of clues in here, and I, I hope that, I mean, there's no way I can, I can nail all of them. I hope that some of them happen. I, I, I hope that if you're a Joab that you were listening to this going, I'm like Joab, okay? Praise be to God, because he's letting you know that. It's good. I think one of the clearest ways that you can tell if you're a Joab, if you're not for sure, is ask yourself what happens when things don't go my way. When things don't go Joab's way, he guts people. And you may go, I've never gutted anybody. I'm so glad. But some of you have with your words. There are people that you have ripped to shreds with your words. Because really, if you're honest, because things didn't go your way. You've left them like a mesa, wallowing in the blood on the side of the road. And you're going, on for God in the kingdom, for me and God in the kingdom. There's a path of destruction behind you. Pray. Pray that's not you. Pray if it is you that God will open that up to you. You realize and you go, no more. I don't have this in my notes, but I was when I was closing, closing this up this morning, I thought to myself, you know, in the New Testament, Peter is almost like Joab, except for one thing. When Jesus says, stop it, he goes, I'm so sorry. I don't even deserve to be in the kingdom. <laughs> I didn't even be here. <laughs> what am I doing here? I mean, he's like, he's like, I'm ready to pull a sword. Let's go get him. Jesus, Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. He goes, okay, I'm, sorry. I'm stupid. <laughs> what, what do you do when Jesus confronts you? Peter, in all his boisterousness, goes, oh man, I don't even, Jesus has a, no, I want you, Peter, come back. I love you. Do you love me? I kind of, I think I do. I thought I did, but feed my, just go feed my sheep. Take what you've learned. Go with it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, um, for Joab. I know this may sound odd, but there's a part of me, God, that hopes that Joab in that last moment wasn't manipulative, but maybe, maybe, Lord, in that last moment, he cried out to you, Lord, I'm so sorry, as he held to the horns of the altar. God, I know that you saved those who, even at the very last minute, turned to you. God, I thank you for that. Thank you that you're that kind of God that shows grace and mercy to all who ask. Lord, help us, though, while we're here, not to be Joabs and fighting for our own kingdom, thinking that we're doing things for you. Help us to look back and examine our lives and see if there's a path of destruction in our wake. And let us repent and turn back to you. Lord, change our hearts. Pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen.